Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com.
Jesus, we thank you that you are the victor. You've won us the victory. We praise you that you are our champion, that you are first, you are the alpha, and you are the omega. We praise you that you've allowed us to share in your victory. And I pray, God, that you'd help us live that way. I pray that you'd help us be uh, crowned with confidence that comes from you, not because of our great power, but because of your great power and who you are the victory that you have won. Lord, would you bless our time of worship today. We pray that you would bless our church. We pray that this will be a place where your name is lifted up and where people can receive you and meet you for the first time. We pray that our baptistry would be busy with people who are giving their lives to you. We pray that everything we do today would lift up the name of Jesus. It's in that name we pray. Amen. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. my good friends Tom and Kara Wimpleberg. They are uh, teachers at Sunlight Academy in Porto Pay, Haiti. They are a mission partner that we support monthly, and they are here with us today, and we're just going to share with you, uh, ask a few questions, just talk about Sunlight, okay? You ready? Yes. All right, here's the first question. What are some ministries that happen at Sunlight? We are mainly a teaching ministry, and we use education as a vehicle to share Jesus for evangelism and discipleship. We have an academy, which is preschool through 12th grade, about 320 students, English, Christian immersion, English immersion, Christian school. We have a church, which is all Haitian run, Haitian pastors, Haitian elders. We just um, worship there and help in a support role, teaching Sunday schools, things like that. And then we have a Bible college, and that has a four-year theology degree. We had 12 graduates this year, and they also have two-year associate degrees in English and one in technology, and they had over 70 certificates wow. in, that, in that this year. Very busy there. Yes. Okay. I know you have a table set up for folks if they need to contact you. They, you have your, some, some materials there. What are... Um, so, let me make sure I say this right. How can we help you? Um, well, at Sunlight, yes, yeah. at Sunlight, um, we always are looking for um, sponsors. So that is a way that people can help here in the U.S. to sponsor a student. And they just sponsor them through, uh, through their education. And uh, we have 32 new preschoolers this year. So we have, yes, yeah, so we have new, uh, new students to sponsor. Uh, we always have support needs too, and your church already supports Sunlight. So we thank you for that. Yes. And also prayer. Gotcha. We really are asking 
asking for specific prayers right now for Haiti, for the political instability that's going on, and we just want uh, the work to continue, and um, so pray for Haiti right now. Gotcha. How many total students? 320. Wow. That's incredible. Common challenges that Haiti faces or your area? That's a big question. Um, Haiti is often referred to as the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, but there's a lot more going on than just poverty. Um, Haiti has political instability. If you've seen the news, um, our president was just assassinated as home by a group of mercenaries uh, a week and a half ago. Um, part of the political, I wish that was just a one-time event. It's really, if you study Haitian history, there's been a lot of coups and overthrows. Um, and part of that political instability leads into lack of infrastructure, so roads aren't great, um, getting water, clean drinking water is hard, getting electricity is hard, unless you produce it yourself with some solar panels or a generator. Um, Deforestation, the country's over 90% deforested uh, because we still use charcoal to cook on. And when there's deforestation, that hurts the farmers because the topsoil goes, the topsoil runs into the ocean, kills the coral reef, which um, hurts the fishermen. So it's just a, a big cycle. Education is a challenge. Um, some, some kids have to stay home and work instead of going to school. Unemployment's huge. There's a, there's a lot going on. And there are a lot of people who come for a week or two weeks, or a year, or two years, um, foreigners, and they think they can fix Haiti right. in a snap. I, I don't know what that snap fix is. Um, we think education really pours into the country, pours into the kids uh, who come, become adults and can later go on and serve. Um, but number one, we think they need Jesus. When you have a regenerated heart, regenerated mind, you learn to live differently, love your neighbor differently. So that's what, that's what we think the fix is for Haiti, but not just Haiti. Right here. Right here. Exactly America, right. Elizabethtown, Kentucky, we need Jesus. Absolutely. You said something. Yes. You got you to clap, man. That's awesome. Okay. You said something about pouring into so that they pour back out. Tell us a story about that. Uh, yes, let me share about Shakina. Oh, this Shekinah. is just a small little brief story. Um, Shakina is a graduate. She just graduated with our daughter Riley from Sunlight, and she told us that she loved uh, her Bible class this year. That was her favorite because she would go home and teach her mom from her textbook, and then her mom would take notes from that and then would go to church and teach that in her Sunday school class. So it's so beautiful to see how things are happening, not just right in front of us where we're teaching and working, but God is doing so many other things all around. Very awesome. Like you said, that's just one little story. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Um, let me talk to them real quick. Hey, I want you all, if you have a chance today, make sure you talk to Tom and Kara after church today, but please don't embarrass me. Don't be weird or be a spaz to them. You got that? <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I know you've, um, hey, I, I am so glad you're here. I am. Uh, you all are not missionaries to me. You know this. I've already said this first hour. You are family to me. Uh, you've been good to me, and we enjoy being together, and we're not going to cry about that, but hey, I'm so proud of you, and I love you all very, very much. And not, not just me, this whole church loves you and loves the partnership. Uh, love what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. You've been doing it for 35 years. A long time. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, what do you guys got to say to the folks here? Thank you. Oh, I forgot to give you something. Why do you treats. keep carrying that bag around? I have treats. Dun, dun, da, 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 da. Check this out. I know you love that. I went to school in Kentucky. I love L8. <laughs> And Kara's kind of weird. Oop, I just made it weird all of a sudden. She loves um, school supplies. So we had a life group collect school supplies, and here's some colored what? glue for you. Colored That's glue. pretty exciting glue. Thank you, Chris. You're <laughs> welcome. You know, there, there are times that, that happen in our life, times and moments that, that take place when, uh, you know, you, you just, maybe you're a little hungry or you are a little uh, over-exhausted and maybe you say some things that you wouldn't normally say or you act in ways that aren't really you. Uh, maybe it goes even beyond that to a point that, that you really 
have to go back and apologize for some of the things that you've done uh, because you just weren't acting like yourself and you just weren't really you in that moment that you were really hungry or you were really exhausted. And, and the reason I bring all that up and the reason that we're watching Snickers commercials this morning is, is the fact that our story today that comes right out of God's word kind of seems like that's what was going on. That this was a moment in Jesus' life when he was a little over-hungry, a little over-exhausted, and was not quite acting like himself, was a little out of character, doing some things, saying some things that just didn't really go along. He just wasn't being him. But the truth is, this wasn't a Snickers commercial that's happening in the Bible, and this wasn't a moment when Jesus was maybe a little extra hangry, if you get what I'm saying. This is a story that, that takes place where there is a lesson for us to learn, but it's a lesson that gets told over a long series of events that thankfully Mark records everything that took place exactly in the order that it took place, and the whole thing happens, maybe not surprisingly if you've been part of this series, it happens around a tree. But if there was a time and there was a reason in Jesus' life for him to be a little stressful, for him to kind of uh, be on edge and maybe not quite be himself, we would understand it in this particular time in his life. Because the story we're going to look to uh, is a story that shows up in Mark chapter 11. So if you've got your Bible with you, or you've got a phone, you've got a, a tablet that's got a Bible app on it, turn with me to Mark chapter 11. We're going to spend all of our time in there this morning. But by the time we get to Mark chapter 11, we're already into the final week of Jesus' life before the crucifixion. Okay, so this particular story that we're looking to is actually a story that shows up four days before his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. And unlike anybody else on planet Earth at that time, Jesus knew everything that was about to happen. And Jesus knew all of the details that were going to be part of his life in the moments to come. And there was enough detail rattling around in his head and enough that was taking place all around him with his disciples and with his group for us to understand him being a little stressed out. But as we see things unfold in this story today, my hope is that we understand that this is not a story about Jesus being hangry. This is a story that is a lesson for us as much as for the people of Israel in the time that Jesus spoke it. Now, the whole thing starts in, in verse 12 of Mark chapter 11, and here's what we read there. It says, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. See, you can understand how we think it's a Snickers commercial. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because... It was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it and gave him a Snickers. No, it's not what it says, but that's kind of how you feel. And then you go down a few verses down the page in Mark chapter 11, and you get down to verse 20, and we see the fig tree back in the story again. And it says this, in the morning... As they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Now this is just a fig tree on the side of the road. There's nothing extraordinary about the fig tree. There's nothing unusual about the fig tree. This is not a unique fig tree. This is not a a fig tree that produces the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is not a, a fig tree that is on fire but doesn't burn up. There's nothing special about this fig tree. It just happens to be on the side of the road, minding its own business when Jesus walks by. It's not even the season for figs to be on the tree, Mark tells us. And yet Jesus curses this tree and the tree withers. So, is this a story where Jesus is just not quite himself today? I mean, is this a story where Jesus is a little overstressed from everything that's about to happen, or is there something more here? Well, the something more has to do with when all of this happens. The timing matters. 
Jesus is entering Jerusalem for the last time before so many details take place. He's entering Jerusalem for the last time before he's falsely accused, before he is arrested, before he stands trial, before he is beaten, before the crown of thorns is placed on his head, before he is crucified for the sake of all mankind. But it's not just that moment in time that matters. What matters is the linear timeline in which this moment takes place. Because at this particular moment in our history, there was one nation, one nation that had been given the opportunity over and over and over and over again to put their full faith in God. And at times they did, but at other times they did not. There were times when they remembered that they were God's chosen people. And then there were times where they wanted to kind of put that part of their life aside and just kind of be like everybody else on the planet. The history of Israel is full of moments when they truly leaned into the protection and the power that God provided for them. But it's also full of moments when life was really comfortable, or maybe life was extremely uncomfortable to the point that they just abandoned their relationship with God. All in an effort to, to, to fix life with what society was doing around them, with, with how culture was leaning, and, and how everybody was just kind of flowing through life, and they just kind of wanted to join in to that flow with hopes that that would fix what was happening in their life and what they longed for. But the faith that they had in God, even as God's chosen people, was not a full faith. It was a semi-faith. Semi-faith is faith that shows up when it's convenient. Semi-faith is faith that, that shows up kind of when you remember that you're a follower of Jesus. Semi-faith is faith that shows up when, when maybe you're on a spiritual high or, or when you are in the driest of valleys. Or maybe when you are just absolutely desperate and you remember, oh yeah, I'm a person of faith. But it doesn't show up at any of the moments in between those moments. And semi-faith is not something that's confined to the people of Israel. And semi-faith is not something confined to just the Old Testament or just the book of Judges where we read multiple times, everybody did that which was right in their own eyes until they got in trouble and cried out to God again. And so here's a question that, that we have to ask ourselves. Could semi-faith define your faith? And could semi-faith define my faith? in the lives that we live, in the setting that we're in. See, Jesus uses the, the fig tree that's sitting on the side of the road, that's minding its own business, that isn't unusual in any way, almost as a parable about Israel, but also about us. I see amazing things that, that happen with the parables that Jesus taught these parables were just ways that Jesus used ordinary things that were part of our world that we fully understood to explain something that was very difficult for us to understand, a very complex understanding of God or of ourselves or, or of the world around us. And Jesus would use parables to explain and define what was too complex for us to understand. Sometimes we miss some of the details of the parables because we weren't there and we're reading words off of page. But the parables were very visual. And when Jesus was talking about, about these parables in, in which he was explaining complex things, often there were pictures and, 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 and images of life to be seen. When he was talking about the, the lost sheep, most scholars believe that as Jesus taught the crowds about the lost sheep, off in the distance there was a field. 
And there were shepherds that were watching their flocks. And it was very easy to understand a shepherd who would leave the 99 in the sheep pen to go and search for the one. It would make sense. Or perhaps when he talked about the lost son, that up on the hill there was a, a, a mansion of a house. And Jesus would say, you know, in a house just like that, there was a man who had two sons. And suddenly the whole story came to life. Or when he talked about the, the harvest being plentiful, but the workers were few, that there was a field right next to where he was teaching that actually had workers in it at the time, separating wheat and weeds. So what about this fig tree on the side of the road? Well, Jesus stops at the fig tree, and Mark gives us detail about this tree. First of all, he tells us that this fig tree was described as a tree that was not in season. It wasn't the season for fruit to be on the tree. And, and yet Mark also tells us that this is a fig tree that is in leaf, which speaks to the maturity of this tree, that this tree is not a, a brand new fig tree. It's not a little scrawny fig tree. This is a big fig tree. When we think of fig trees, um, probably the closest understanding that we have of, of a fig tree is kind of a decorative tree that you've got in a, in a pot that sits in the corner of your house and just brings a, a little green into the house. But a mature fig tree that's in leaf is, is a big tree. It's, it's a wide tree, and fig trees have huge leaves on them. And so when they're fully in leaf, which is once they're mature all the time, I mean, you could put an entire family under this tree to catch shade from the heat of the sun. This is a, a tree that, that would draw you in, that would want you to, to, to be brought to it. In fact, this tree constantly looks like a tree that is so healthy that there has to be fruit on it. In our setting, when a tree is out of season, maybe winter is here. When we think about trees in the winter, they're barren. They're, they're, they're branches and trunks, and that's it. There's no leaves anywhere. There's, there's nothing to see. It's obvious that that's not a tree that, that fruit's going to grow on. But when you're out of season in this part of the world, and you're talking about a fig tree, that fig tree still is in leaf, still fully mature, still looks like it has fruit. It's a trick. It's a, a fake out from a tree when you're really, really hungry and you're hoping that there's some fruit hanging off of this tree. And so Jesus' lesson from this mature tree that isn't producing fruit like it looks like it should be producing is a lesson about semi-faith, about fake out faith, about faith that looks the part but doesn't actually have the fruit of the Spirit in it, that that's a fake faith, and it's not real faith. To only lean into your relationship with, when, with God when it's convenient for you, to only lean into your relationship with God when, when you get motivated to do so, when it's a spiritual high moment, or when things are, are just so dry, there's nowhere else to turn, when you are so desperate that you cry out to God, that kind of faith is faith like the Israelites had. Those who were kind of in and out of their relationship with God when they were actually the one and only chosen people of God. There is no in season or out of season for our faith. Our faith isn't supposed to be only strong at Christmas time or only strong at Easter. Our faith isn't supposed to show up in our week only on Sunday or only when it's youth group time or only when it's life group time. The fruit of the Spirit should be present in every moment, in every compartment of life, in the highs, in the lows, and in all of the arches that happen in between. But how are we supposed to know that that's exactly what Jesus was trying to teach of this fig tree on the side of the road? Well, the only reason we know it is because Mark clears the whole thing up with a story that happens between the two comments about the fig tree. 
Remember, we had to move down the page to kind of get the ending of the, the time with the fig tree, and sandwiched in between those two comments on this fig tree is a story that takes place in Jerusalem. And it shows up in verse 15 of Mark chapter 11, and here's what Mark writes. He says, on, on reaching Jerusalem, this is after the first encounter with the fig tree when the fruit wasn't there and Jesus seems like he's out of character and he curses the fig tree. Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. During this particular week, in the calendar of the Israelites, in the calendar of the Jews, there were the people of Israel coming to Jerusalem from all over the world to offer up their yearly sacrifice to God for the sins of their past year. And many of them were bringing with them animals that they had raised for this particular purpose. These were their animals that they were going to sacrifice to God and they, they made sure that these animals were everything that the law required. And some people were coming and they were traveling light. And so instead of bringing animals with them, they brought money with them to purchase animals to use as a sacrifice there at the temple. Others were coming to, to offer up offerings to God. And they wanted to bring a, a tithe. They wanted to bring a tenth of all that they owned. And so they brought their income with them to give to God. But as they got to the temple on the other side of the table were the priests and the religious leaders who had all figured out a way to use their faith, to use their position, to benefit their own selfish desires. So if someone brought that animal that they had raised to, to be a sacrifice and they brought it up to the table, there might be a priest that looked at that animal and say, said, uh, that's not fit for sacrifice. That doesn't meet all the things that the law requires. But we have another animal back here that we could exchange for you, and you could have an animal now that would be acceptable for sacrifice. So if you'll just give us the animal you have plus a little bit extra, we'll give you an appropriate sacrifice animal. Then that animal that was handed over would be shifted down a few tables, and when someone would come up to purchase an animal, the animal that they would purchase at a crazy amount was the very animal that was unacceptable a few tables down. And if somebody were, were coming to offer their offering and they brought the, the coins that they were going to give to the priest, the priest would look at that, that money and they would kind of decide that that currency wasn't acceptable for God. Maybe it was too marred up, maybe it was too dark, maybe some pieces had already come off of it and it wasn't quite good enough for God. And so they would exchange the coins that you brought for more acceptable offering coins to be given at a little higher exchange rate. In fact, coming and exchanging your coins at the temple was kind of like going to a baseball game and trying to buy a hot dog that you anticipate paying a couple of bucks for and you look up and it's eight ninety-five for a hot dog in a bun. It's not even a foot long. Come on. That's what the people were experiencing there in the temple. And when Jesus saw that, Jesus looked around and he saw the religious people had figured out this way to use their religion and to use their faith for selfish desires and it caused him to become angry, to be sickened, and to react. And what he was reacting to wasn't the fact that these guys had a semi-faith. It wasn't that these religious leaders kind of had faith that would come and go with the seasons and come and go with the moments of life. It wasn't a semi-faith that was the problem. It was that they had a selfish faith. A faith that didn't consider the condition of other people. A faith that was really only about their own needs and their own wants and their own selfish desires. 
They were only concerned about those things that would benefit them, that would advance them, that would make them feel better. And when Jesus saw that, he flipped over all the tables and he sent coins and currency scattered in all kinds of different directions. And he stared down the people of faith who looked mature. They looked as though they were people you could trust. They looked as though they were people who would show the fruit of the Spirit in their words and in their actions, but they were only producing angles of faith that would keep them at the center of the story of faith. And they would use their faith and even the faithfulness of other people to benefit their selfish desires. So here's the question that comes from that part. It's a question that's for you, it's a question that's for me, and it's a question that is a very personal evaluation. Is your faith selfish? Is your faith selfish? If grace and love and mercy is just about what Jesus provides for you and not about what you provide for others, then your faith is selfish. If you're quick to criticize and marginalize people for their actions and for their words and pass judgment on them because their actions and words seem to be a a long way away from God instead of trying to figure out how to get them closer to God, then your faith is selfish. If your actions and your reactions to faith and to church come from a place where you are at the center of the story rather than from a place that desires to bring other people to the center of the story, that is a selfish faith. One of my dad's best friends was Ben Merrill. And Ben is still preaching uh, from his small frame and big booming voice. I heard Ben speak about a decade ago at a convention, and he stood up in front of multiple generations, thousands of people in the room, and he said this specifically to his own generation and kind of the the generations surrounding him. He said, I'm over 80 years old. And for all of you who don't like the worship music of today, I promise you, I have not liked it longer. (laughs) And everybody laughed. Some people even applauded. But his follow-up was far more important. He said... But if the style and the volume of music can lead more people and more generations to the faith that I so desperately enjoy, then bring it on. Our purpose is to lead people to Jesus. Our mission given to us by our Savior, is to go and make disciples of all nations and all generations. And once my faith has connected me to my heavenly Father, then my purpose for my faith from that point forward for the rest of my life is about bringing other people into the center of the story. And that's not going to happen if I have a semi-faith. And that's not going to happen if I have a selfish faith. What Jesus is anticipating and what Jesus is trying to teach us and was trying to teach Israel as he was walking down the road and he saw a fig tree that was absolutely ordinary and not very unique on the side of the road was a lesson about sincere faith. 
A faith that produces the fruit of the Spirit in every moment of life. A faith that cannot be hidden. A faith that cannot be stopped. A faith that cannot be legislated against to knock it out of existence. Paul wrote this about sincere faith. He said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. That's a sincere faith. And it's the sincere faith that caused Jesus to wrap up his lesson in Mark chapter 11 with these final words. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. May our faith not wither. May our faith not be a a semi-faith or a seasonal faith or a, a fake faith or a selfish faith. May the faith that sustains us and moves us through all of the moments and all of the compartments of life, the highs and the lows and all the pieces of the ark in between be sincere. So sincere in fact that others take notice of the fruit of the Spirit in our life and they grow hungry for that fruit in their life too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the lessons that you share with us, lessons that are sometimes even through parables difficult for us to grab hold of. But God, we can definitely relate to the fact that our faith has its moment of being only seasonal or maybe a little bit false, certainly a little bit selfish. And God, we would just ask that you would forgive us for those moments when we have not had the sincere faith that you desire us to have. And that God, you would remind us in, in moments extraordinary and ordinary, unusual and not unique at all, that the fruit of the Spirit is to flow through us that our full faith may be available to speak into the lives of those who are not yet at the center of your story. God, help us to be on mission and on purpose full time for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me this morning. And if, if you're someone who's here and, and you don't know Jesus as the leader of your life and you don't know him as the one who has forgiven you and you've never said yes to, to his gift that he, he offers to you, you've not been baptized, maybe that's a decision that needs to be made today for you. Where you say yes to Jesus, you're baptized in his name and you experience not only his forgiveness but his leadership from here on. For those of us who have, have already accepted that, maybe this is just a reminder to us that that's the gift that we have. And maybe you want to be a part of this church as we're doing our best to collectively lean into God full time. And we'd love to have you be part of First Christian Church. But if you have a decision to make in either one of those areas, we have folks who will be down here to talk with you and pray with you as we sing here in just a moment. And we encourage you to make those decisions in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our leader, our forgiver.
But for the rest of us who are here, it is a moment that we have right now just to worship and lift our voices in celebration and praise to our God. So if you have a decision to make, there'll be folks here for you. But may we lift our voices right now in worship to him. Spirit lived the flame, and that is gospel truth. 